This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. This week, I am joined by two stale candy hearts, Paul Jaceley. Hello, humanoids. And Nick White. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week on I Read Comic Books. This is episode 273. I'm never going to be consistent about the episode numbers, so I hope you're tracking at home. Um, <laughs> before we get into <laughs> the show... That feels very comics, in a way. Yeah. Just yeah. inconsistent, hard-to-follow <laughs> numbering. I think it's right. very true to... Eventually... We're going to have legacy numbering for the show, you know, <laughs> all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, before we get into things, though, I do want to say that there is a IRCB hangout on our Discord at on February 20th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you can make it and you're not a part of our Discord already, make sure to head over there to ircbpodcast.com slash Discord to immediately get added to the Discord. And then you can come and hang out with us on February 20th at 8 p.m. But anyways, let's get into things. Let's get into the legally mandated question that I must ask every single episode. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Well, here's your requisite um, Michigan weather report. Uh, Snow, 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 snow. (laughs) Very cold. It feels like the Michigan winters of my youth, which I feel like when you say something, you've got to be like 56. And then there's like a flashback like sequence in like a movie into like a sepia tone sort of thing. Anyway, um, it's really bad. It's really bad. Uh, but jokes on Mother Nature. I haven't gone outside. I'm not going outside. It doesn't matter. I'm not going anywhere. You can snow as much as you want. I don't care. You know, the the worst thing you have to do is get out the what do they call that a, a roof rake mm-hmm. and uh, just make sure, sure the snow doesn't collapse. What, whatever that is, sure. <laughs> And I'm sure some people are going to say, oh, it's roof. Uh, look, I don't care. We're not having the roof-roof discussion. It's not Listen, It's if, not if happening. If we people want to have that discussion, they can show up to the Hangout. They can debate yeah. us. About <laughs> you, can, words, okay? you can get mad about that there, okay? What else? DM'd my first game this weekend, Alien RPG. We'll Woo! see if anyone returns uh, for round two. <laughs> it was pretty good. Danny is in possession of a flamethrower in that game, so things are definitely going to heat up. Uh, yes. Yep. So <laughs> I will not. Re- I will not respond to that pun. Please. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in terms of what I've I've been reading, I did read uh, Savage Number One from Valiant. I will say uh, so. This is a book written by Max Bemis, uh, art by Nathan Stockman, who I think is perhaps best known at this point for Spidey. Uh, literally called Spidey. Okay. Uh, Triona Farrell on colors and Hassan Otsmane Lehu on letters. I We got this as like a promotional advance uh, copy. So I was able to sort of review this in advance because this book obviously comes out, uh, will come out later this week. And I do have to say it's not great. Okay. <laughs> I think the last seven pages of this book will get me to hesitantly read the second issue. Um, it's got some nice uh, action sequences at the end, but how many times can you roll that out? And the colors are surprisingly sort of bright and fun for a book that's about dinosaurs. The only thing this book really kind of carries over from the original 2016 miniseries is that at the end of our main character being warped into an alternate universe and then finally finding his way home in a way and he kind of falls into modern day London. That's about really the only thing that carries over. The rest of this book is sort of weirdly tongue in cheek. Um, person out of time struggles to deal with social media. Haha, they don't understand likes and TikToks. That's so funny. Um, hashtag relevant. It. And maybe oh, yeah. I'm just old and bitter at this point, I guess. But it's just it's just so tonally different than the original series by uh, B. Claymore, uh, Louis La- <clears throat> Louis Larosa, and Clayton Henry. And it almost feels like this book should have either never been revisited or it should have been revisited by the original team based on when this book came out i have to believe that they were probably discussing returning to this book probably right around the same time as the dmg majority share acquisition of valiant and i think it got shelved until dmg decided what they were going to do with it which was going a completely different direction also they kind of make the main character 
sort of a super powered dinosaur hunter. If this feels like a '90s Turok book, okay, that is the best way I can put okay. this. If you <laughs> sure. wanted a 1990s Turok comic, you've got it, which is fitting because basically. Savage was created to skirt the fact that Valiant no longer had the copyright on Turok anymore because that's now in the hands of Dynamite. Dynamite? Dynamite, yeah. Could be. It is Dynamite, yeah. So I will hesitantly read issue two. The character designs are okay. We'll see what happens, all right? Just not really disappointed. I'm not even trying to hide it here. I really love the original miniseries, and this is really disappointing. I did also, I want to briefly go over uh, That Texas Blood Volume volume 1, written by Chris Condon, uh, art by Jacob Phillips. Most of you know Jacob Phillips has been doing color work for his dad, Sean Phillips, on a large amount of his books within the last two to three years. Uh, This is him kind of striking out on his own to do um, his own pencils and colors on a book that feels very no country for old men, but tonally also, um, has anyone else read this? Uh, Paul, did you say you read this? Yes, yes, I did. So so I'd be curious to hear your feedback on this. And, And you've read Kill or Be Killed, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. This book totally has that weird sweet spot that killer be killed has of it seems grounded there's like some very very like harsh violent grounded in reality stuff going on but then there's some stuff that you see glimmers of here and there just weird unexplained stuff that continues to be unexplained mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. Um, specifically, I think it's issue one where you have the scene around the campfire and you see something off in the woods, right? Right. Yeah. And that never gets explained and it (laughs) never gets discussed and you're just left. It's sort of like, it's like that moment where you're, you know, you worry that they're going to put that frame, like you're watching a TV program and there's that like subliminal programming, like, you know, frame that they stick into the reel and you're like, wait, what did I just see? Right. (laughs) Um, I really, really like this book. If you want sort of a crime noir, southern mystery sort of thing, I I, I can't recommend this book enough. I think uh, Jacob Phillips, there's a couple things that are drawn a little weird here, but largely I, I really, really like the art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize, one, no artist likes to be compared to other artists and I'm sure even more so nobody wants to be compared to their dad. So I apologize, <laughs> Jacob Phillips, but um, Phillips, Jacob Phillips art seems more in line for me with someone like Tula Lote or um, I would almost say like Joel Jones, um, someone like that more than, uh, or even Michael Allred more than uh, his dad, um, which is which is interesting. Um, Maybe that's yeah. intentional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again like I know artists don't like to be compared to other artists, but it's just an easy shorthand to sort of at least give people some sort of an idea. <laughs> um, the pacing was weird, and it did seem to get kind of surreal at the end. And I don't know if that was bad pacing or if the book was supposed to be symbolizing you as the reader getting confused about what's real and what's not and who's in control. I, I would definitely recommend this book. I think image has another big hit on their hands here. I -hmm. think for sure. For sure. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I I mostly just want to read this book. I have, I haven't grabbed it yet. It's just interesting to have, this book and it kind of reminds me not uh, thematically uh, of uh, Southern bastards, but it's the same approach where it's like the creators love where they came from, but also hate it at the same time. So it's like, they're like clearly love Texas, but they recognize some of the problems with it. And they kind of keep casting it as a place you can never fully understand or maybe feel comfortable in. And that's kind of why the book has that sort of uneasiness to it. You can't quite put your finger on what makes it uncomfortable or unusual, but it has a very distinct tone to the book. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a simultaneous romanticizing and being terrified of a place at the exact same time. Yeah. yeah. Right. Interesting. I mean, Jacob Phillips is definitely from the UK, so I'm guessing that Chris Condon <laughs> is from Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, Paul, well, what about you? Uh, how have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, I've been good. Uh, like Nick said, the West Michigan weather has been... Um, uh, it's been seasonal, unfortunately. This is the worst season in Michigan, so uh, uh, it's been bitterly mm-hmm. cold. I've been trying to keep my walks with my dog as short as possible, but uh, yeah, it's not so bad. I'm used to it. I have been spending a lot of time inside reading comics, though, and uh, you know, it's probably no surprise that I mainly read comic books, but the other thing I spend time reading a lot of is... Uh, biographies about musicians or musical groups. Those are my two kind of things I read. And I managed to find a book that did both for me <laughs> this past week. I, I thought you were going to say chick tracks. <laughs> oh, believe me, uh, Nick, there's no greater joy than finding a random chick track on the ground. <laughs> that is like <laughs> the, my favorite thing. That's a whole other discussion, though, for another show. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Um, I found on Hoopla the book Redbone, the true story of a Native American rock band. This was originally published in France and then was republished by IDW this past year. Um, It's written by Christian Stabler and Sonia Paoloni with art by Thibault Balaghi. I'm butchering those French names. I'm very sorry. But uh, this was a surprisingly fun book. This is about the band Redbone. And if you don't recognize the name, I guarantee you recognize their 1974 smash hit, Come and Get Your Love, which everyone knows from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, It's become another hit yet again, decades later. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you only know that song, there's a whole history to this band that is really, really fascinating. And the book traces the beginnings of the group back to the late 60s, when two brothers, Pat and Lolly Vegas, were starting out uh, playing clubs in Los Angeles. And a young musician named Jimi Hendrix said that they should put together a band that's all Native American musicians. And they ended up doing that years later, and that was the band Redbone. And uh, this book kind of tells the history of the band, and it draws a very uh, strong parallel between the band's approach to music and their culture and the Native American rights movement that was happening in the early late 60s, early 70s at the same time. So it's a very political book. Um, they draw a connection between those movements and the protests we had at Black Rock a few years ago uh, about the the pipeline. So it connects Native American history, uh, as tragic and sad as it is, to a sort of triumphant story about a band getting successful, having a huge hit, and having a legacy that continues to this day. The framing device is a conversation that uh, Pat Vegas is having with his kids and at times it kind of feels almost like a Wikipedia entry where the kids are basically asking, oh, that's when so-and-so joined the band or that's when we recorded this album. It's kind of like just checking off the facts. But when the book goes into a more political direction, explains the history of the band, it's really, really interesting. And I think what's really striking is the artwork. Um, it uses doesn't really use traditional comic book panel layout. It uses more full-page composition, which makes some of the conversation aspects or scenes a little confusing at times but when it does the flashbacks it uses like a pale blue and a pale red color exclusively and this really gorgeous sort of fluid incline uh black inks throughout the book and again it kind of gives each chapter of the book at different stages of the band's career a unique feel it's a very visually striking book and uh in terms of the content it was right up my alley obviously it's a musical history biography and a comic I was really oh, yeah. surprised by it. Uh, it's on Hoopla. It's well worth the read, especially if you don't know much about Redbone as a band. So highly recommend that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm just skimming through some of the preview pages here, and it, it's a beautiful looking book. I, I love some of these, like just some of the opening pages I can see on like Amazon. Um, yeah, just this art style is so it's so simple with like two tones or three yeah. tones, <laughs> um, but it looks gorgeous. Like. I might definitely have to check this. I'm I'm grabbing this book. That's what's <laughs> happening right now. Um, thank you for the recommendation, man. This looks awesome. There you go. See, I've made a sale right on the show. That's awesome. Um, right. I'm a hard <laughs> sell, though. So, you know, you should be really proud. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> that's interesting you brought that up, Paul. I uh, I just rented that from Hoopla a couple days ago. Oh, okay. So I'm glad to hear that you you enjoyed it. So, because um, yeah. I, I, I haven't started it yet. So okay. that's good to hear. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very enjoyable, very quick read, and it makes me want to get down to the record store and find as many Redbone albums as I can find to kind of, uh, you know, provide the soundtrack. <laughs> right. So it's it's really good stuff. So, um, And then very briefly, the other book I read um, is a number one, Crimson Flower number one. This is a mini series from Dark Horse written by Matt Kint, art by Matt Lesowski, Lesowski, sorry, and colors by Bill Crabtree. Um, I remember... I remember pulling this uh, and ordering this from previews based solely kind of on the cover artwork. Uh, Lesniewski's artwork is very distinct. It's cartoonish and exaggerated. Um, and Crabtree's colors are very sort of like almost garish at times, but it really fits the tone of this book because this book is about a woman in Russia who's trying to track down the man who killed her father. And it turns out he was part of a Russian government uh, training program that trained assassins using Russian folklore. So it's kind of like weaponizing folklore, uh, and she's using her knowledge of Russian folklore to kind kind of track these people down and uncover this secret history of assassins. There's moments in the book where the line between reality and the folklore and the myths sort of blurs, and that's kind of the most interesting parts to me. And the book mm-hmm. ends with an implication that this woman maybe is of character from folklore herself. You know what I mean? It, there's also an implication Ooh. that there might be some sort of uh, uh, disassociative, disassociative personality disorder or some sort of uh, schizophrenia involved as well. But it's more interesting mm-hmm. if it's you know drawn to the Russian folklore. And I think, again, the artwork has an uneasy quality. There's a couple panels where random people will like look like characters from folklore or like a character's face turns into a wolf's face for one panel. Like she's having these flashes of right. the, the stories in the in what she's doing in, in quote unquote reality, um, I really enjoyed it. It's a four issue huh. miniseries. Uh, I'm probably gonna have to track down the other thing. I have this bad habit of ordering a number one in previews, forgetting I ordered number one, and then having to go back and track down the other issues when they come out because I forgot to order them. But that's right, right. another discussion for another time. So yeah, Crimson Flower by um, yeah. Matt Kent and uh, Matt Lasunsky, uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I, I was very tempted to grab this book uh, when it came out. I just I the artwork just kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. Like sometimes <laughs> you see you see like honestly it reminds me a lot of like R. Crumb's work where like yeah, I'm just like, yeah. oh, the, like the detail is so gross. I don't know if I want to re- look at this. Um, <laughs> it, it, but I mean, if it's good, I mean, I don't know. It's unnerving. Um, yeah, I it's might... unsettling, which I which I appreciate. Um, sure. I will also say that for our first issue, it seemed pretty like thin. So since it's a four issue okay. mini, it's one that I'm like, oh, maybe should I just wait for the trade or I'm trying to trying to figure out why it was a uh, right. serialized rather than just being an OGN in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the question of a lot of these Matt Kent, uh, like <laughs> short series that he's been doing recently. Yeah. Um, I probably will just trade weight this one. Cause it sounds like it's, it's probably going to read better in the trade anyways. Probably. When I saw some of the art for that, it reminded me a lot of Sam Keith's like the max, which is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could see some of that, and I could see people kind of being like, uh, "I don't know, maybe, maybe <laughs> not for me." Sure, which mm-hmm. is fine. Yeah, well, um, I like I said, I'll probably trade weight this, and we'll see what happens. But for me this week, uh, I, I read some other stuff. I've been reading Hikaru no Go for the for the book club, uh, the manga discussion group that we have on on Discord. But um, so that's been like my big thing. Um, I read some issues of X Men and all that stuff. But the thing that I really want to talk about is Harley Quinn, black and white, uh, black, white, and red. Um, number seven through 14 i like i don't know what it is but every few weeks there's just like a plethora of new issues of this series and i sit down and i go okay well let's binge through the the last you know six or seven of them um and you know i want to shout out to danny who who turned me on to this series way back when i was just like looking for big two stuff that was good um and this is when paul turned me on to far sector and immortal hulk and then danny was like hey check out this uh this harley quinn black white and red and i don't know what it is about this series um but it is amazing like if you haven't read it it's a series of one shot issues that are just about harley quinn getting into trouble i guess um (laughs) whether that is her like playing baseball or her trying to kill the joker or her infiltrating the legion of doom or all the stuff that to me made the harley quinn cartoon tv series that dc did really really enjoyable and like i'm not a harley quinn person i'm not someone who's just like getting like harley quinn tattooed on my arm and says mr j you know across or something like that (laughs) i i don't really have a connection to harley quinn um but something about this book just really draws me to it i think it's the anthology style i think it's the varying little like really well told one shots like i think out of this whole series there's only been like maybe two duds out of 14 issues that i've read so far Hmm. um 
And it's really, really interesting to see all the different takes on Harley Quinn. They all seem to have this editorial kind of push that like Harley's independent. She's no longer, you know, Harley, Harley Quinn from the Batman TV series, even when they're using those styles. Um, she's very independent. She's she's chaotic. She sometimes has her pet. Uh, her pet hyenas. Sometimes she's living with Ivy. Sometimes she's off on her own. Sometimes she's gathering, you know, um, a, a random league of of people that she wants to turn into a street gang, a la the Warriors. I mean, this this series is all over the place, and it's the kind of like fun that I think Deadpool or fans of Deadpool think Deadpool is. Um, <laughs> but somehow this book actually nails that humor and makes me feel like I'm having a lot of fun um, reading it every single time. And it's like, again, they're not all winners. I mean, I would say for the most part, these things kind of strike just around a three, like a like a middle of the road, like good comic. Um, but there was a couple of issues in this run that I read from seven to 14 that I really, really liked. Um, issue number seven by Erica Henderson. Um, it's Ivy and Harley kind of being angry friends. And of course, Harley screws everything up for Ivy and all hell breaks loose. Um, I, the thing I really liked about this is Erica Henderson's art is really phenomenal when it comes to just two-tone art or three-tone mm-hmm. art with the black, white, and red. Because mm-hmm. that's the other thing about this series is it's typically in black and white and red. And I, she does something with, with her inks in this issue that just really, I, I like kept staring at just like people's mouths being open or like the way that someone's face was shaped like erica henderson has this ability to kind of convey emotion and mouths in a way that no other artist does and i know that's like a weird way to talk about things but if you look at her art and the way she draws teeth and lips and and just mouth expressions compared to a lot of other artists you can tell that she really pays a lot of attention to that and she wants to convey how someone is speaking in the way that they use their face completely not just their eyes um and yeah, I, I was really blown away by this, the way that she drew some of those pages um, in that issue, because there's some full page spreads of just like Harley and Ivy just like yelling at each other. <laughs> and it's it's so beautiful. Um, hmm. Plus with the red and stuff like that, you get Ivy's hair. It's really great. Um, uh, issue number 13, written by uh, Patrick Shoemaker and uh, Eleonora Carlini. I believe this is the issue where where uh, Harley Quinn creates this gang that's like the warriors. And then they fight through a subway train to, of all the various warrior like gang knockoffs. And if so, if you've never seen the warriors, this issue doesn't work, but for <laughs> someone who loves the stupidity of the movie, the warriors, this issue was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then issue 14, this is, uh, uh, this is by Jordy Belair and Greg Smallwood. Hold on. Maybe I got 13 and 14 mixed up. I, I had descriptions down and now I don't know what they are. Um, but, Regardless, 14 was fantastic, if only because you got to see Greg Smallwood doing what Greg Smallwood does best, which is shadows um, and like really heavy, thick pencil, like charcoal lines, um, but with Harley Quinn running through Gotham. Um, and it's just a beautiful issue overall. Greg Smallwood, and again, another person that knows how to capture a person's face really, really well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and to see him draw Harley Quinn was, was really, really fun. And I think Jordi Belair is a stellar um, writer and she should be on every Bat book forever because I think she really nails the idea of um at least harley quinn i think if she worked really really well so highly recommend this series if you are like looking for something off the wall that's not tied to anything that's a hell of a lot of fun um i will say like like between issues one and 14 there's probably like two or three actual duds where i was just like oh my god let this issue be over even though it's 22 pages long um but then there's some of them like i said the erica henderson issue um this Jordy belair one that i talked about like just incredible from start to finish so um yeah, definitely. It's like, this is totally not my bag, but I love this series to death. All right. You sold me, Mike, because I've seen this pop up a few I, times too. And uh, yeah, I have no real connection to Harley Quinn as a character, but uh, the, yeah. the creators you're naming, and if you drop a Warriors reference, you're speaking my language. So yeah. <laughs> good sell. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, it's so funny because like, I, like these issues are all digital first they're like 99 cents okay. each if you've got a cu subscription it's like 84 cents an issue it's such a steal for really really good content on the whole so um i don't know i i think okay and so cinco in the chat is saying if he the only Hollywood Queen content he liked was birds of prey i think that you would like this series because i feel like they took that 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 mentality of who harley quinn is in the birds of prey movie yeah. and in the harley quinn animated show where she's very anti-joker very trying to establish herself kind of a goofball and turn it into a comic book and it's super duper works so if you like that that type of harley quinn or that that portrayal of harley quinn i think you'll dig this cool I don't. I, never in my life would I in in six years of recording the show would I think I'd be defending like a Harley Quinn book. But here I am. <laughs> like times are changing, I guess. Yeah. Um, wow. Anyways, let's let's move on. Let's talk about comic books that are coming out on. 
February 17, 2021. The day we're recording this is Valentine's Day. So if you celebrate a happy Valentine's Day, if you don't, I hope your Sunday's doing well. Um, I guess uh, let's uh, let's start with you, Paul. What are you excited for this upcoming week? Um, I'm excited for a reprint. Um, I'm excited for an old comic, to put it a different way, I guess. I'm excited for Scene of the Crime. Ooh. This is a 1999 miniseries written by Ed Brubaker with art by Michael Lark and inks by Sean Phillips. All people I like. Uh, so this is something that they did years ago for Vertigo. It's been out of print for a long time. Image recently uh, did a reprint a few years ago in hardcover, and this is the first time the book is showing up in a trade paperback coming out this week. Uh, nice. It's been sort of redesigned, the cover and stuff, by Sean Phillips. And, um, you know, I, I really like Ed Brubaker, obviously. Uh, him and Michael Lark worked together on Gotham Central, which is one of my favorite Batman-related comics ever. And this seems to be cut mm-hmm. from the same cloth. It's a uh, modern-day noir story set in the San Francisco. You've got Brubaker, you've got Phillips, you've got Lark doing crime. I'm going to buy that. So I'm, I've never read this before, so I'm glad to see it being re- <laughs> reprinted in an accessible format and probably be the first thing I read when I pick it up this week. Nice. This is that book that I think I've seen advertised in the back of every Brubaker and Phillips mm-hmm. book for the past like five or six years. And exactly. I'm just like, huh, I really should check that out. And then I never look into it. <laughs> so now I have yeah. no excuse. They reprinted it and everything. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I've, I've thought about reading this a couple times, but as Paul pointed out, like it's been out of print mm-hmm. and then they switched it to hardcover. And I don't know what sort of arrangement or agreement was made for this book, but like every time I see it, either in digital or in print, it's really expensive. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, every time. So this is, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Very cool. Uh, Nick, what about you? What are you excited for this week? So for me, it's going to have to be Young Hellboy number one, The Hidden Land. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's a miniseries. And like, I, I, I think like younger, more cynical me would have been like, oh, Young Hellboy, like what a cash grab. How stupid. Like, why is this happening? Like, <laughs> I, I think younger me would have gotten the same feeling he got when like, like I loved Indiana Jones as a kid. And then I was like, oh, there are Indiana Jones books. And it's like, oh, this is young Indiana Jones. And I'm like, oh, this is garbage. I don't <laughs> like this at all. <laughs> Why is this happening? So and the answer is money. Um, And uh, so I, I, I think in the past I would have been a little bit of I would have this would have elicited a little bit of an eye roll for me. But I'm I'm totally on board. And with there being so little Hellboy content at this point. Um, you know, I'll take what I can get. Uh, and, and, and you got Mike Mignola co co-writing or at least co-plotting and you've got Dave Stewart on colors. So you at least know that the, the ship is being steered by a competent hand. Um, the, the title is co-written by industry veteran Thomas Snigoski, um, who seems to have quite a track record for writing sort of like horror books slash comics. Uh, and it's drawn by Craig Rousseau, who has spent a large amount of time working for DC. Uh, probably two of the only things I noticed for uh, Rousseau were Rousseau drew two issues of Future Quest, which is a great series. So mm-hmm. no issues there. Um, beyond that, yeah, it's just a younger version of Hellboy going with Professor Brutenholm to a dig site in South America, and they end up getting stranded i spent like 15 minutes trying to find actual preview pages of art for this book that weren't just (laughs) all of the variant covers which is um never a good sign right but (laughs) i did at least find a variant cover by the artist who drew the interior pages and Mm -hmm. it's super stylized but it seems fine so i'm like i said um nobody's getting any new hellboy content right now for the most part so we'll we'll take what we can get until like disney buys it and then disney just makes their own hellboy comic so <laughs> this isn't this, this isn't me being mad about aliens everyone it's not <laughs> you're maybe you're thinking it i assure you it's not it's not so yeah. sure nick sure yeah. um, <laughs> i'm not well, mad okay yeah uh 
I did I did manage to find a preview page I dropped in the Discord. Um, but uh, anyways, before before I get into my pick for this week, you know, it's 2021. We're trying to make people read comic books and give them money to do so. So remember, if you share the show on social media, on Twitter or Instagram, and make sure to tag us, uh, we could potentially give you $20 to Comixology, Midtown Comics, your local comic book shop, wherever you prefer. Um, just make sure to share the show online and we can make that happen for you. Before I get into my pick, though, I also want to say that... Uh, we have some discord picks from the folks that are listening live uh crashmore said that they're into recount number two uh cinco's looking forward to guardians of the galaxy number 11 and danny is looking forward to the immortal hulk flatline by declan shalvey which according to some of the discussion in the discord chat was this book has been delayed like crazy i i feel like i recall that happening and uh tldr thanks thanks covid um Anyways, for me, though, my, my pick this week is Haha ha, number two because I'm a basic person and I refuse to pick an X-Men book until they start to really please me again. Um, this is by W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, Zoe Thorogood is on art for this issue. Um, and apparently, uh, the, number one was some kind of parody of the Joker movie. Uh, but since I didn't see that, I didn't know. Okay, like people have been really mean to me online about it. Uh, I'm just I'm not going to name names here, but like you can't blame me for not having seen the movie that everyone told me was bad and that I shouldn't see. So like, why am I getting yelled at for not knowing that it was a parody of a movie that I didn't? Okay, whatever. Um, look at now I'm going to go watch this movie just to spite all of you. Everyone don't, don't said, Mike. Mike, don't watch this movie. Don't now I'm going to go fucking watch this movie. And it's all your fault. That's all I'm saying. Um, either way, I'm I'm excited about this issue. I don't, you know, these this is like an anthology book about sad clowns. Um, the summary for this one is Rudolph on the road to Funville. Every boy and girl needs to see a mama like a puppy needs a bowl. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. All I know is that it's rated M for mature according to Image Comics, and I'm ready to read it. So um, mess me up, uh, W. Maxwell Prince. I can't wait. <laughs> um i i will say if you re- read number one it's it's it kind of reminds me of the uh the joker book that uh jeff lemire did with andrea sorrentino hmm. um but like but of course it's the joker movie i'm just saying that it also reminded me of another comic book so middle fingers to everyone who said it was the joker i didn't know okay uh <laughs> anyways uh we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna talk about uh a bunch of new number ones because i gave everyone a weird assignment and we're gonna see how it played out so we'll be back in just a second our show this week we are talking about a bunch of number ones uh number one comic books so uh you know i threw this topic to paul and nick saying hey i want you guys to pick up a new number one something that you probably wouldn't read something that you probably wouldn't expect you you know people to have you pick up um and then give us a review because you know sometimes it's 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 worthwhile to just blindly find a book and just give it a chance because that's how you discover you know your next favorite comic book at least that's the way that i take it I, i think there was maybe a time maybe a year or two ago on the show where i was trying to pick up like a new comiXology submit book like every other week or every week um and i i kind of fell off that train just because it was tiring to just dig through all of the stacks of new comic books that came out but i thought we'd take that idea and kind of just run with it not necessarily comiXology submit but just stuff in general that came out new number ones um so we all went around and found new number ones and of course despite there being hundreds and hundreds of different books that came out somehow nick and paul managed to pick up the same book but nonetheless (laughs) let's talk about those books um i guess paul what did you or paul and nick what was the book that you two picked up this is so funny because, uh, Mike, you said to pick something maybe out of your wheelhouse would normally pick up. So that I think that works for my pick. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that Nick ended up going with this as well because of that. But anyway, uh, I think that <laughs> fear – Nick's just breaking all the rules exactly. on this goddamn show. Rebel. <laughs> Unintentionally, but we'll get into that. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Uh, we both read Fear Case number one. This is from Dark Horse. It's another Matt Kint book um, with art by Tyler Jenkins, colored by Hillary Jenkins. And you're saying, what, another Matt Kent book? I guess to uh, set up the conversation here, Matt Kent is one of those creators, much like Jeff Lemire, I know, uh, who writes a lot of stuff, but I've only really delved into their creator-owned stuff that they've written and drawn, right? So Lemire, Mm -hmm. my favorite stuff is the Essex County trilogy. I've tried reading other stuff he's written, and it's fine. It's just I like his artwork maybe more than I like his writing. Same thing with Matt Kent. I really like Super Spy and the stuff of mind management that I've read. 
And a lot of it has to do with his artwork more than maybe the stories themselves. So mm-hmm. I decided to take mm-hmm. a chance and read uh, you know, something he's written. I like Tyler Jenkins' artwork. And the, the hook for the book that they put in previews that I saw was, it's like True Detective meets The Ring. So I said, yeah, I'll give that a shot. I like True Detective, a horror story. That might be interesting. And my quick takeaway, my two cents right away, um, that's kind of all it is. It doesn't really bring anything else to the table other than being True Detective <laughs> meets the ring. But we can get deeper into that. Nick, uh, why did you pick this book? So I picked this book because Mike said, find a new number one that came out within the last month that <laughs> you would take a chance on. And I couldn't find a uh, healthy compromise of something that was outside of my comfort zone without being too outside of my comfort zone. And so (laughs) I think you should give the real reason, because I think the conversation that you and I had was a lot of these books look wild and crazy, but I can't verify if any of them are comics gators because of how wild their (laughs) topics are. (laughs) I mean, it's understandable. Like, yeah, we're not going to talk about those books. I just think like. I agree. Some of those books were like really bizarre. And then you kind of have to wonder, this is so insane. Is this person a straight up bigot? Like, we had to, <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, And so I, I kind of settled on this book in some ways. It was a little bit just a faint reach for me. Obviously, I love Matt Kent, but Jenkins artwork recently seems to be getting really, really loose. Hmm. And I mean, I remember like, gosh, maybe I, I, I think this was Peter Panzer Faust was Jenkins, right? Yeah, yeah. So that felt a lot more tight as far as the pencils were. They weren't quite as mm-hmm. loose. And I feel like Grass Kings was really loose, but I didn't mind it. And that was sort of watercolory. And this book was definitely something of a reach because it. this book feels almost like the coloring is it's not really watercolor it's it's definitely darker shades and it almost feels like pastels yeah not like the pastel color palette but like pastels as an art medium Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's what's Um, really strange actually about the artwork what's really strange is that when i picked it up and flipped through it i actually thought it was matt kent artwork as well it seems very similar to his color palette and his sort of coloring style uh, that at first blush, I was like, "Wait, did he draw this too?" Uh, but so yeah, I can see maybe uh, the co- the connection there. Yeah, Kent sort of has the whole Mike Mignola thing going on, where you tend to work with uh, other people who <laughs> who have sort of a uh, aesthetic that's like adjacent to yours, you know. Right. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see that. And some of the pages in this book, the artwork feels like really muddy mm-hmm. in like really like low de- there were a couple of pages like where i thought the page wasn't fully rendered yet and then i was like <laughs> oh no <laughs> wait it's just supposed to be kind of that blurry um but i think the biggest thing that i can probably say about this that i found really interesting um that i'm not so sure you picked up on paul cuz i mm-hmm. don't know if you read bang um with kent and wilfredo torres um the well yeah we we can discuss this i i think it'll either either people will know about this from having read bang or they'll find this interesting but it's not spoilery i think um when they pull the book out of the glove box in the car right yep the old pulp sci-fi novel Mm -hmm. um that is actually a book from Bang. And the guy who wrote that book plays a big part in Bang. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So okay. it does make you wonder, is this kind of a fun throwaway to another work by Matt Kent? Is this sort of like a ha-ha, like this is from a Matt Kent Dark Horse book, and that's from a Matt no, Kent Dark Horse book. Actually, like, Ha Ha is written by W. Maxwell Prince, actually. So. <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for that. Sorry. Fact check. And it's not like Matt Kent to, you know, put in some deeper connections and have sort of a metatextual approach <laughs> right, to his books at all, right? right? How right. uncharacteristic <laughs> that would be. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> So I guess, you know, so my criticism of it being uh, a little too on the nose with the true detective 
uh, meets the ring comparison. The stuff I really liked about the book were the interactions between the two Secret Service agents that you kind of follow throughout the book. Like Matt Kinn's approach to dialogue, their relationship, that moment in the car that they have together when they give the guy gives the guy the book. That stuff was all really good and engaging. I felt the overall story kind of fell flat, but those moments I really liked. Yeah, I mean, I think the core conceit here is very high concept, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I think, I, I think if you can get people to show up for the high concept idea, and you can get them to stay for the good dialogue and relationships, then I, I don't consider that a problem. Right, right. Um, what it reminds me of, the core conceit, it makes me think of what was that movie called where the guy shows up and he's got like, I mean, I think it's like short stories have done this too. He shows up and he's got a button and he says, if you push the button, I'll give you a million dollars, but somebody dies. Right. And right. Okay. you, isn't it from Frank Langella shows up with the button. And I, I think, what was that called? The choice, I, the choice, the button. This. I, I, this is a movie, right? Yes. Yeah, I think it was a story and then it became a movie. Yeah. Something like okay. that. Like, it reminds me a lot of that because you've got like this very clearly laid out, you know, moral dilemma of sorts. I guess you could also say this is kind of like, what was that movie? It Follows. It's very much like It Follows, yeah. Where you have a certain amount of time to pass this off to somebody else. Otherwise, you're in trouble, right? Um, Now I need to go read this book because you guys are really selling me on what this concept is. And you keep talking (laughs) around it to the point where I just want to stop recording the show and go read the thing. We, 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 we can discuss the core conceit because I, I think it's interesting and I don't think it's spoilery. Um, so you well, have... It sounds like it's a spoiler. No, no. It sounds already like a spoiler. I don't want to be spoiled by it. <laughs> so I, 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 I... No, Nick. No. I'm going to say no because I... will let Paul like decide. In, let the adult the decide. Past, let, in the past, you have said this isn't a spoiler and then gave away the twist let in an Paul, let, so. let Paul decide. I don't think I don't think it's a spoiler. Basically, the 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 main premise here is you have, like I said, two Secret Service agents. Um, there's a a longstanding case that no one can solve, and it's a case about a case, a black box that um, first appears in World War II, and it seems to be cursed. And that's kind of where the book picks up is they end up tracking down what they think might be this mysterious black box, and. Um, it's being basically passed from person to person, and the the gimmick is you give the box to the person you hate the most, and if you don't do that in three days, the person you love the most will suffer some sort of consequence. So that's the mystery right there. Gotcha. Um, okay. And it, it, again, it's a good concept. I think my biggest critique is that it all feels like I've seen this kind of stuff before, even from Matt Kent. It kind of feels like almost too much in his wheelhouse, like something he could write in his sleep almost. There wasn't quite enough sure. to that for me to sink my teeth into, at least not to keep buying it issue to issue, you know. Gotcha. So probably going to trade weight on this. I guess that was kind mm-hmm. of the next thing is uh, I wanted to ask the both of you was, do you think you'll continue picking this up in single issues? Do you think you want to even continue reading it? Because um, <laughs> I mean, once we get to my pick, uh, I've got a whole lot of thoughts on that, but I, I'm curious to know what you guys uh, like, how you're going to continue if you're going to continue at all. Um, I I was probably going to trade weight it, but I'm actually pretty interested, and I think I might pick this up in singles. I think, I mean, maybe I misunderstood this, Paul, but don't they intimate that the box might actually go back hundreds of years right. at one point as yeah. well? Yeah, and they're so. try they're tying it to the larger history of the Secret Service as an organization. Of course, you, this type of story, of course, oh can have the sort of deep, uh, deep state government conspiracy tied in as well. Because why not? Let's throw everything into this. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Right. Did you read Mind Management? Um, yeah, I get right. it. Yeah, I think as I said, the the one thing I would say is I think if you were maybe turned off by. You know what? I I think it could go both ways. If if you didn't really like Jenkins' art on Grass Kings, I think this is enough of a departure that you might actually be more on board with this. But I also think that if you were maybe on the fence with Grass Kings, this might be really out there. Um, that said, okay. as as Paul said, um, it is pretty similar to Matt Kint's own art, and so if you were if you like that sort of aesthetic or something similar to that. I, I think you'll be okay with this. I think the color palette is is fine. 
but it's like it's very dark. It can be sometimes pretty hard to distinguish um what's going on, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But don't um, read this on a tablet during the day. Gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah. Just go out okay. into, into the sun and just get some nice glare and and yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think gotcha. there's promise here. We just need to see how this unfolds, and I'm really curious to see if this shared universe thing is really like building out into something like really wild because I've read a couple promo pieces in, in interviews and stuff for bang. And I've read stuff for fear case and there has not been any overt promotions or mentions of these books being connected. (laughs) So if it's happening, like he's just sort of doing it and he's not trying to sell it based on that, which is interesting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I guess we'll we'll just get into my book, uh, which I will say before I, I figured out what I was going to read, I almost uh, picked up Kick Hit versus Ass Girl. I mean, sorry, it's uh, <laughs> Kick Ass versus Hit Girl. Uh, it's written. <laughs> the cover of this book is written like the Walking Dead sign, like don't don't dead open inside. Like <laughs> it doesn't make any sense when you read it left to right. Uh, anyways, that's funny to me. Uh, no, the book that the book that I read uh, was of Thieves and Elves, Volume One. This is by A.P. Stevens with pencils and inks by Cesar uh, Oliveria, uh, with colors by Samuel B. Bush and uh, letters by Josh. Uh, this was sent over to us for a review, so I just want to give that uh, just a, heads, a shout out to A.P. Stevens for sending that over, uh, and I gave it a read this week. Uh, the comic book dropped on February 10th, and I'll just say like the story was pretty straightforward. Kind of reminds me of The Witch, wrote with more business or excuse me, more bluntness. Um, the synopsis is Trin, the master of the Eornor clan, is transporting an ancient relic across the lands to return it to the vault of Eornor. Um, in his journey, he comes across some proof of the rumored nameless darkness growing in the land. What will Trin do to complete his task? Um, the thing I will say about this book uh, is for 46 pages, you get like quite a bit of bang for your buck in terms of story. Um, the first third of this book feels really clunky. There's a lot of lore dumping. Um, I, I guess getting the you know main character Trin into this situation where he has to fight a bunch dudes is kind of rough and and kind of falls back on some tropes and fantasy that i think like will never escape but they're kind of tried and, and old and um you know there, there are two female characters in the book that are just there to be captors that are just freed and i think that the this whole book could have been avoided could have just avoided those characters and avoided this implication of like violence against women in order to get Trin into a situation by just having him run into this band of bandits that had abducted the women in the first place that being said like the uh the overall like the the overall like story is pretty okay it's pretty interesting um the hook the the cliffhanger at the end of this book was really surprising um for i know this is like volume one i think it's kind of like issue one it's like 46 pages so a little bit bigger than your standard like comic book but um there was uh, a lot of really good action in this book like the combat in this book i don't think i don't think i've seen such like dynamic use of various fighting styles i guess uh, and not like this is something i truly pay attention to but you know in an, in a superhero book you kind of just see people you know punch and kick and scream and they're talking the entire time um whereas this book i intentionally spent a lot of time um with trin fighting various dudes in this this group of bandits and each of the fights felt very unique felt very dynamic you could get across this idea that trin wasn't a perfect character even though he won most of his fights and i i really like just the this the design of a lot of the characters i think the the main villain whose name i didn't write down um has a really unique style that uh, was really eye-catching. Um, and I'd like obviously want to see more of that character in, in subsequent volumes. And I think we will, given how this issue ended. And yeah, I was I was a little worried going into this book because it felt like a lot of lore dumping about who Trin was and how this this old group of elves, He's because Trin is an elf. He is the uh, like this titular character that people seem to know. They know that he's this old person that's this, he's this recognized person in his clan and he's traveling with this relic. We don't really know why, but the relic's possessed and is constantly talking to him and trying to get him to use it, um, which I think offers a lot of interesting things. And these bandits are like, well, we're going to steal your shit. And he's like, if you do, the world will end. And they're like, ha ha, no, it won't. Um, so that's like <laughs> it's a simple summation of like a little bit more complicated story. But that's what I took away, which I thought was like a really... Like there's a lot of really fun fantasy bits in here. Um, there's, like I said, a lot of bad tropes that also fall into it. But um, 
I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of there's a, there's plans to do a lot of bigger stories within the series. I I could see this turning into a bigger book um, if you know the right people were reading it and there was a lot of interest in like the overall lore. Seems like Stevens has a lot of ideas for like this big world. There's a nice map that you got at the beginning of this issue that um, provided like just this overview of things, and I'm really into that kind of stuff as a as a fantasy nerd. So. Um, I guess like shit. I I probably would have picked this up. I guess if I saw it, but all you know, all things considered, I'm actually usually really hesitant to pick up fantasy books by creators that I don't know because of reasons that I pointed out that are worrying to me that I don't necessarily like to see in my fantasy books. Yeah. Um, plus, the I will say the coloring in this book was really off to me at first. It kind of it felt really splotchy and it felt really unnatural and didn't really fit the vibe of the book. But the more I read it, the more it actually suited things. Um, there's this harshness to the to the colors and these weird neons, um, like muted neons that at first don't really work. But I think as the story goes on, they're used for emphasis on a, in a couple of different ways that I thought was really, really smart. So yeah, I I don't know. I like I said, I probably I guess I probably would have picked this book up, but at the same time, I wouldn't have picked it up. I don't know. This is <laughs> fantasy books are a really easy sell for me, but I I just uh I don't know. So like I don't know. That's so I guess shit. I maybe I didn't even follow my own rules in this goddamn thing. God damn it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking at there's a there's a preview of this book on Google Books and yeah, the the color palette reminds me I don't it reminds me of Space Riders. Like it's got those mm, yeah, pulpy yeah. Hard, like neat, like all of the colors are like these hard neons mm-hmm. that almost it almost feels like an like a, a like eighties eighties comic book coloring, but like a modern idea of what eighties comic book coloring was like. Yeah. It, it's got a pulpy vibe to it. Is okay. like that's. <laughs> what i yeah, get it, so the, the colors are pulpy but this is like the most straight up like hard fantasy book i've read in a long time like not trying to modernize anybody not trying to you know use any modern slang like the main character speaketh as if he was from the forest <laughs> like, <laughs> so oh like which like isn't isn't a knock on the book i i i definitely respect that and i do like that in the in a hard fantasy kind of story um where we're really trying to get into the like gritty no, I don't want to say grittiness but like just the 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 periodness of the book even if it is a you know made up period so um <laughs> that's not a bad thing by any means but it is it is kind of a strange strange book um I think if I saw this I just from the colors alone I probably wouldn't have picked it up and even just the three preview pages if you look at them on like comicsology they're just like caption boxes and again the the lore dumping was kind of like yeah a lot to begin with but once you got past that the book's book's not bad hmm. i mean that's that's kind of always been my um my hesitation or the the big hurdle for me to get over with a lot of fantasy stuff is it requires so much exposition mm-hmm. to set everything up the world building <laughs> right, never right, quite right, feels right. natural to me and so that's one of the reasons fantasy's never been a genre i've really gravitated towards and uh maybe this this sounds like may not be a good place to start for someone who doesn't already like that genre yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think that uh, while as someone who likes fantasy and doesn't have an issue with a lot of that lore dumping, this isn't like a huge leap for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you if that's the kind of thing that turns you off, I don't think you'd be into this book, um, at least to start. Because um, again, I, I think the, like, again, the action's good. There's a really good twist at the end. The end, the, the issue itself before the epilogue, because there's an epilogue, folks, um, didn't end in a way that I thought it was. And I was genuinely surprised by how it ended. So like to the point where I think I need to read volume two, if only hmm. to get a sense of closure on the story that's in, in the middle of this book. So um, it's, to that end, I think it did its job in selling me on the book, but just reading the first few pages, I don't think I would have been drawn in if I wasn't actually trying to like com- go through and actually read this. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tough to say like how, I don't know, to give it like, I don't know, it's just tough to say, like, if I would have kept up on this book. So I don't know, did I break my own rules? You decide. Someone write me a letter, ircpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you let me know what you think. Mike, we make the rules. We can't break them. We make true. them. So This is true. This is true. It, you, know, you know, like I was saying earlier in the show, I've run into this problem lately where I'm intrigued enough by a book in the previews to pull the first issue. And then promptly forget that I did that. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. 
part of that is like I like the idea of discovering something new and I want to jump on a book, you know, uh, I want to find the sleeper hit, right? I want to find something new and fresh. And so I'm oh, willing yeah. to try number ones and something I've been trying to do more of. It just you run into that problem where it's like if you miss issue two or three, especially if it's a smaller publisher and it's not going to get reprinted or do it go back into second printing or whatever, you really run into that problem. It's like, well, I miss issue two. I got to wait for the trade. Or I can try to track down the other issues and jump back on, you know, when I get when the next previews rolls through. So it's like that two month gap in previews ordering to the books landing in my shop. But that's kind of been the tough thing to navigate for me lately. So I'm very open to trying new number ones, but that's always in the back of my mind. It's like I got to make sure it's something I uh, remember and at least I'm interested enough to pull issue two. You know, right. Well, that's that's like the the big dilemma I, I think in new comics uh, uh, by themselves is that I think that there are a lot of really good comics out there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and the problem is that you read a lot of them, and so it's hard to <laughs> like you really if you're gonna pick up a new number one, like you know, and maybe this isn't true for all everybody listening to the show or whatever, but I think it's true for the three of us sitting here that you know you read so many comic books like if a book doesn't really stick out in your head like there's no reason for you to even go pick up that next issue like i tell myself right. yeah. uh, not to just auto subscribe to books on comiXology just to buy the number one and if the number one is good enough i'll go remember at the end of that issue to go pick up the next issue mm-hmm. like in terms of like going to pre-order it or subscribe to it and i think that like for instance like seven secrets like what an idiot i was for not picking up the rest of that series but i remember reading number one i thought i, I think i liked it but I didn't go and pick up the next issue. I didn't subscribe to it or anything because I don't think it stuck out. Now, again, I'm kicking myself because that book is a slow burn um, hmm. in some ways. But yeah, I think it's just, you know, we read a lot of books. And if it, something doesn't stick out, like you just, it just falls off your radar. And it's really easy to do um, until someone reminds you of it. Or you happen to, you know, be browsing through the list of comics and go, oh, shit, I remember I read issue number one. I thought that was pretty good. And then you're like two or three issues behind. And if you're reading physically, like you're talking about Paul, there's a whole hmm. dilemma. So um, it's it's kind of tough. I mean, there's just too many good, damn good comic books out there, I guess. Is that yeah. what we're saying here or is it something else? <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's a spoil of riches sometimes. It, that's, that is, <laughs> as Peter Parker says, yeah. you know, the gift and the curse of being a comic books fan, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I thought this was an interesting experiment. You know, I wanted to see what you guys would pick up. Uh, I wanted to <laughs> kind of just, you know see you know have a little bit of a different discussion on the show where we're kind of just straight up talking about comic books rather than like the things that compose comic books and stuff so i probably want to try this again in the future and i mean this is a you know one of those kind of semi evergreen things to talk about if only because like there's always going to be new number ones and i think that it's really like important for us to challenge ourselves as comic book readers and try things that are out of our wheelhouse and Mm. try things that are you know not necessarily something you'd auto pick up like you throw an image book with you know a creator that i've probably heard of once on a fantasy book i'm gonna pick it up right like that's that's a really easy sell for me whereas you know some of this stuff you know like fear case i didn't even pick that up because i'm just like i fucking don't want to read horror books um all the time um (laughs) which is half the reason why i don't read any of the vault books because like vault it's so scary and i just don't find anything very i don't (laughs) have a lot of vault Vault books core conceit is so there's this thing you know what if it's scary? It's like, <laughs> right, right, right. What, no, what if it's not? Like, so <laughs> it's it's interesting, but this is why I like challenge myself to try stuff because I did. I actually will say I did grab another number one um, for this episode, and I read it, and I was so disappointed by it hmm. there's four typos in the comic that were clear like not like oh you forgot like an s or something it was like spelling your incorrectly forgetting an entire word in a sentence and i was just like oh i don't i can't talk about this book because the book wasn't even that interesting and i'm just like do i show up here and go fuck new comic books whoever would try to read a number one that they don't trust like that's unfair so right. um you know i want to talk about this other book because i did think that there was a lot of good for it even if there were some things that kind of um rubbed me the wrong way about it um but a- again it's important i realize that people see this like oh i'm gonna try something and not like it as like a risk and blah 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 but like I don't know. I, I think you do need to give comic books a chance. And I think you'd be pleasantly surprised how many more books out there there are that you like than, than the ones that you don't like. Um, because I think for every dud, like the one that I read, there's five that I actually would enjoy from a random number one. And the only thing that stops me from buying more of them is the fact that, oh, shit, number one came out and there's no way for me to subscribe or it's digital only and the release yeah. schedule isn't planned. And I don't know how to find out when it's coming out next. So you just have to keep it on your radar. But um 
that's I don't know. That's the that's the the problem with with comics in general. We need to fix it. Whole other topic of discussion. <laughs> but I really highly recommend that if you have a few extra bucks in your pull list, go to Comicsology, find a book that you probably haven't heard of, and if it looks even remotely interesting to you, and you, even if you don't know the creators, just try it <laughs> because I, I think you will be pleasantly surprised by how many good independent comic books there are out there. It doesn't have to be from one of the big ten publishers. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's being published out there that you probably would have never known about had you not just tried a few tried with your two dollars or three dollars on a whim but yeah anyways I'm, i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> to see if paul and nick have anything to say to that um <laughs> no i i think it's i think it's sometimes overwhelming you know um because i primarily buy physical books so i'm flipping through previews mm-hmm. every month and it's overwhelming sometimes to see how much stuff looks cool looks interesting and want to give it a shot but you know, it's it's four or five bucks a pop to try a new number one. So I'm trying to budget better, which yep. is failing completely thanks to Future State. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, but there is this this moment where you're kind of flipping through. It's like there are so many comics, and it's it's like I said, it's a it's an embarrassment of riches. It's a spoil of riches because there's always probably going to be something that clicks with you, and it's it's just a matter of you taking the time to find it. It's not going to come to you. So yeah, it's the uh, it's the curse of being the comic book reader. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know we rely on people rely on shows like this, or they rely on different websites and stuff to give them kind of the inside scoop. But I also think that there's no harm in you trying to find something on your own. I mean, I definitely think that we want to be able to say, I'm going to get a good comic book when I pay money for it. But you know, um, I don't know. I think there's no harm in trying, trying new things. Um, anyways, Nick, I don't know if you were going to chime in with anything. I just, I mean, never gonna get off I don't know if I can get on board with this trying new new things idea, but we'll just you can sure. save that for another episode, I guess. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, I, I I would add this uh, for people who are maybe looking for a lower barrier to entry to sort of branch out. I think Hoopla is a perfect way to do it. Yeah, I think yeah. if you have Comicsology on limited, um, I think that's true borrowing free issues on that yeah yeah Yeah. if you're looking for a to lower that barrier to entry by just you know saying i want to try new things but i don't have or don't want to spend money on it or at least my money on it although if you're a taxpayer technically you're paying for the library so it is your money you're still paying your money well assuming your (laughs) library has offers you hoopla you know because not all libraries do right yeah you know these are these are some excellent um options i you know i recently read uh, what was that book i told you about mike um out to sea i think is what it was called mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. i thought gosh was it first second uh, it was this really interesting graphic novel and just because it was something that s- sometimes when i've got leftover borrows on uh on hoopla i'll just go to the featured tab and i'll just start looking at you know what sort of books they're saying are are interesting mm-hmm. you know and i'll just i'll just take one of those on a whim uh yeah so that's that's sort of how i would do it uh the sorry the the title was not out to see it was set to see set yeah okay so yeah yeah I, that's that's definitely one way of doing it but otherwise like i completely agree with paul like sometimes you look through previews and you're like this looks interesting but also i will forget about this book <laughs> it will never be reprinted mm-hmm. i will never be able to find it and it might not end up on comicsology and other than me seeing it on this page it will be lost to time forever <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly uh yeah. so there's just got to be a better way of of uh I mean, I, I I guess the fail-proof solution is you just buy everything in previews. You just call up Previews Magazine <laughs> and you go, yep. I'll take one of everything. And they're like, yes. even that $9,000 Electra um, figurine, and you're like, I said one of everything. <laughs> right. Nick is the guy from that Monty Python uh, Meaning of Life uh, skit uh, where the guy orders one of everything and then explodes, and it's <laughs> disgusting. So with that... Um, I guess thanks you guys for for trying something kind of new to yourselves that you probably <laughs> wouldn't have picked up, kind sort of, sort of. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I think this is a fun fun little thing. I, I definitely want to try it again in the future. Uh, we've got a couple different topics like that that I think are just really fun to get us trying new things and getting a little bit out of our wheelhouse. So um, maybe you'll see this again in a, in a couple of months with two different hosts um, just to get their perspective on things. So I guess with that um, we can wrap up here. Uh, I want to say you know. Uh, 
Thanks to Paul and Nick for being on the episode. You can find them on Twitter. You can find Paul at Ohi Pauly. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin and the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCB Podcast, uh, where if you mention us on those social media platforms, you too could win $20 in free comic books from us. This episode first aired on our patron, and uh, it's possible because of our wonderful Patreon supporters. Uh, you can join up on patreon.com slash IRCB podcasts, get exclusive new series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, the Giant Day series, and much, much more. Uh, if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Five stars would be great. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. You can also join the IRCB Discord community to chat about comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record them. You can do that at ircbpodcast.com forward slash discord. Uh, and it would help us a lot if you would tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Go check out their latest single, Was, on Bandcamp. It is in-fucking-credible. Uh, I want to say thank you to Xander, who is a wonderful editor and a great person to play D&D with. Uh, I want to say thanks to Paul and Nick again for being on this episode. Thank you to Crashmore, Danny, Cinco, and Jeff in the chat for joining us today, listening live. Uh, thank you to everyone out there who listens to this show and shares it on social media and just tells people about it because we really, really appreciate it. Until next time, remember that comics are good, and so are you.